3: Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. This season of Going There is brought to you by the fine folks at the Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson, who never stop working to create a future where disease is a thing of the past. This month's episodes, focused on LGBTQ plus mental health, is specifically presented by iMe, created by HopeLab. Lab. iMe Guide is a free, research-backed mental health tool built for and with LGBTQ plus teens looking for support and help in affirming their identity and learning practical ways to cope with stress that is helpful, relevant, inclusive, and joyful. Find it at iMe.Guide. That's the letters I-M-I dot guide. Today, we are talking with Katie Gavin, Josette Maskin, and Naomi McPherson, better known as the indie pop band Muna. Muna has been described as a band that translates alt rock into pristine pop, and that their music is frighteningly emotionally intelligent. On June 24th, their new self title album Muna drops, which includes the singles Home by Now and Kind of Girl. And this week, they begin an international tour that includes the Lollapalooza and Austin City Limits festivals. Check out their music and upcoming tour at their website, whereismuna.com. Now, on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so that we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And one of the most important skills that we can learn as we are on our mental health journey is to love and accept ourselves while we simultaneously work on the things that we would like to change. Many people assume that these concepts are at odds. Either we accept ourselves and therefore don't need to make change, or we don't accept ourselves and therefore are motivated to make change. And this assumption can lead to a very problematic pattern by which we feel that we need to engage in a constant cycle of self-criticism in order to motivate us to make improvement in our lives. And while in the short term, we can sometimes be motivated by self-criticism, that motivation tends to be short-lived. This approach, on an emotional level, feels like we are constantly sprinting to avoid danger, and it wears us down over time, usually causing more stress than it cures. And what Muna and I talk about is that being more loving and accepting towards ourselves is a much better context for understanding ourselves and making change. So whether it's exploring and improving our mental health or understanding our gender identity or sexuality, we need to approach these issues from a place of love and acceptance. Then we can be more patient, curious about how to make change rather than harsh and critical. This leads to a more virtuous cycle in which we are accepting of ourselves, making change, and building a loving and accepting community around us. Now, as we progress through this season of going there, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. On the Consequence website and wherever you find these episodes, you'll also find a short questionnaire. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions you have that have been sparked by our conversations with these incredible artists, and topics you'd love to see addressed. We incorporate these responses into episodes as well as a monthly column called Ask Dr. Mike on the Consequence website. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so they can go there with us. So let's go there and listen to what Muna has to say. Hey everyone, welcome to Going There.
2: Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah,
0: thanks so much.
3: So let's start with a song that you've all been working on recently or that's just come out that focuses on mental health and get some background on the song.
0: I think, I mean, if Katie would like to talk about this, I'm happy to pass it off to her, but I think um, on our third record, it's um, perhaps a slightly less therapizing record than our, than our previous one, but there's a song called kind of girl on it that I think is perhaps not an overt, song about like, you know, mental health as just a concept, but has within it the sort of, you know, self-acceptance and belief that you can change and like loving yourself for where you're at, but also knowing that you like can grow and should grow as a person. Um, yeah, I would say the song, the song Kind of Girl um, on our on our forthcoming record is, is definitely uh, one that sticks out to me. Um, it was a song that I think that Katie started writing in the bath after a, a sort of unsuccessful day of writing some other songs. And she brought it to me and Joe and it, it just, it, I find it to just be super touching for, for any listener, just regardless of gender. So yeah, I'd, I'd say kind of girl for sure.
2: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that, Naomi. It's, it's like, in terms of the question, you know, songs that we're working on, we're at a particular place um, in album cycles right now where like we have an album that, um, what is turned in and is, and is coming out in, in a short period of time. It could be out now, depending on when this podcast comes out. But, um, so like these songs are already written, but I think it's the period in an album cycle when you're reflecting on what songs really mean. Cause sometimes you, you write them and you don't, it's just stuff that you need to get out, but you don't necessarily have the perspective to understand what you're talking about. But yeah, I write the lyrics for most of our songs. And I think kind of girl is a song that I'm very proud to have written And it. It has a lot in it that I think is about like my journey of healing and and self-acceptance and, and um, yeah, my journey with mental health. I, I think like there's the first verse is like, I'm the kind of girl who like takes things too far and who wants things that she can't get. And like, just being very familiar with like the patterns in my life that have caused me a lot of pain. But the chorus of the song is like, I could get up tomorrow, talk to myself really gentle and work in the garden. And then like, uh, it kind of goes on to, to say like, I can still change like, my patterns and the last line in the chorus is at least I'm the kind of girl who thinks that I can I think we work sometimes in in the MUNA world we work in a lot of affirmations and that's kind of what is like in a way it's like the most heartbreaking type of lyric you can have there's something even sadder about affirmations and saying like I believe that I can change or or we have a song called I know a place that's like I know a place you can go where everyone's going to lay down their weapons. And that's a song that always makes me really emotional because I think there's something about choosing to like, keep rekindling your hope, like for yourself and for progress and for humanity, like that also requires you to like grieve, um, you know, like your actual experience of life, which often falls way short of that. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think that, I have, I, as a lyricist, I need to write a lot in affirmations. And then the last thing I I would say about that song, kind of girl and like mental health, the the second verse, there's like a, a line that goes, like, I'm, I'm the kind of girl who owns up to all of my faults, who's learning to laugh at them all, like I'm not a problem to solve. And I think that it just embodies like, I thought that making progress with my mental health and my recovery was gonna look like um, all my faults, like being taken away over time and like just becoming more perfect. But it actually looks a lot more like just having a gentler relationship like with my humanity and being able to, um, instead of like beat myself up when I'm not perfect, like have a giggle about it and like, um, have some and obviously I cannot do that all the time but um, I think it's like those lyrics definitely come from a very like hard-earned life experience of like okay I, some of these struggles and like my intense emotions like are gonna be with me for my whole life but it's like not seeing it as something that I have to fix about myself and just being really really as compassionate as I can be with myself and and letting the people who love me like continue to love me like throughout all that stuff. So yeah, I guess that song like really super is about mental health, ha
3: ha. You know, one of the things that you're talking about is a very difficult paradox for a lot of people because most people think that either you hate yourself and that motivates you to change or you accept yourself and that motivates you to kind of stay in the same place. And I think that one of the big fears that a lot of people have about accepting themselves or loving themselves is that they're going to lose that motivation to make change. But I think it's now become more of an accepted lore in in psychology, at least, that you really need to have both in order to move forward. And so I'm kind of curious, just for you guys, how you're able to kind of have both practices, like a practice of acceptance and a practice of change.
0: I think that is, that's so interesting. I'm sure we'll all have something to say about that. But I I think like what what you're getting at is sort of like a general worldview that I think all of us are, are trying to get more used to. And it is just like seeking out less binary thinking and trying to, you know, maybe interrogate the reasons that you're seeking change in your life. I think a lot of people feel that, maybe they have to change aspects of themselves to be more like mm, perhaps like more productive members of society and to be able to do be more efficient and like do better work. And ultimately like that is just (laughs) servicing capitalism. I'll always bring it back (laughs) to, to, to capitalism, but yeah, I think like, I think it, it does just take like time and allowing yourself to grow up and like, age to sort of understand that like understand the the power of less binary thinking and that you can um hold two truths at once i think that's ultimately like a very queer sort of uh thought as well i'm being very like um i feel like i'm being a bit wooey so if anyone else has some a more like concrete thought to add to that but it, it definitely resonates as like something that feels part of the like group the the global consciousness shift at the moment?
4: Yeah, I would just say that for me, and also just like, we've been doing a lot of, you know, we're we're starting this new album campaign and we've been doing a lot of reflection on the other records that we have made. And I think as a band, all of our music has always been, it's always very personal and it's always, mental health is always such like a big focus just because of who we are as people. Um, but I would say like the thing that I noticed about each of us, and that is also just like exemplified in that song and, in the joy that is in our new record is that, you know, I think with just growing up and also spending a lot of time in self-reflection that you, you learn that, you know, life always will have these ups and downs and pain, pain isn't something that can just be subtracted. Pain is something that continues to like ebb and flow and I think it's just about how you you treat yourself and how gently you know you allow yourself to like hold on to pain and I think just through growing up more than anything else we have been able to treat that pain differently and which just allows us to treat ourselves differently and not expect anything to go away but maybe to not be gripping ourselves so tightly and just to have a little bit less of a chokehold on our expectations for, I don't know. I, I, I just think you, the more I age, the more I realize like, I'm just not gripping it so tightly, but I'm also like, you know, seeing a therapist and medicated and X, Y, you know, all, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. I, I think like with regards to what Naomi and Joe said, and to your question, like part of what, when I think about like having a gentler relationship with myself and like leaning more into self-acceptance, I think in the past, like something that was scary about that was maybe this belief system of like my self-criticism and my kind of harsh relationship with myself was, I thought that that was what was behind my success like oh I'm like really hard on myself and that's why I've I achieve things because I'm pushing myself and I won't stop until you know I have something to show for it and I think that that's like a very common like myth um in our society and I do think it's a myth I'm a probably unsurprisingly uh a Brene Brown girly myself. And um, I remember being like absolutely shook at one of her talks that was kind of about that concept of like using like self-criticism as a driver and how that can produce like work that is consistently good, but what it can't produce is work that is great. And it's kind of funny because like my like pro- productivity addict like that that was what interested me. I was like, "Oh, cool. I want to learn how to make something great and not just good." But um but I think that like I'm really interested in that paradox of like if you can be willing to be gentle with yourself and take care of yourself and nurture yourself and not always be pushing yourself, it's like that actually is what makes room for you to hear the voices within you that like want to express something that is like that probably has the most power in it to like really do all the things that I'll speak for myself like that's probably my way of like actually getting to the place where I can say things that yeah have the most power in them and have have the most ability to like change the fucking world which is what I want to do but it's just ironic that like I have to let go of uh being hard on myself and being so obsessed with like. Yeah, productivity and like always showing up and being the good girl to get the the thing that
3: I actually want. Yeah, you know, and there's something I, I think Naomi was it you who said you didn't want to get too wooey.
0: Yeah, I mean okay. we we're Angelinos, so I think yeah. we can we can go woo. We're, you know? we're, we're gonna <laughs> yeah, yeah on
3: on the podcast we embrace woo, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna double down on the woo here, but but to bring in I think something that Josette said as well this concept of, of pain and bringing Naomi, the thing you said about, about non-binary thinking. I, I think that one of the things that's been very interesting in talking about, it's, you know, it's Pride Month and talking about LGBTQ issues with mental health is that oftentimes the discussion is how to stop discrimination, how to stop the stressors, that lead to mental health problems. So discrimination, abuse, whatever level that it goes to and it can be incredibly extreme and horrible that there's almost this natural tendency to say, oh, how can we create equality? Which which of course makes sense to, to a degree. But I think that what Naomi, what you're talking about is, is there a power in non-binary thinking that goes beyond equality into something that's actually from surviving to thriving. And I think that one of the things that, to bring in what, what Josette was saying, is that the ability to not see pain as a binary issue, either I'm, I'm, not I'm experiencing pain and that's bad, or I'm not experiencing pain and it's good, that opens up a whole conversation with ourselves that is so important because our bodies are wired to tell us when there's something that's wrong. And if we don't do that, if we think in that binary way, it's like telling a friend to shut up when they're trying to talk to you. And, you know, it's like like if a friend tells you, shut, you're just going to keep talking louder and louder and louder, and the pain's going to get greater. And so I think that what you're all talking about is just the power of non-binary thinking to not only lead to to not just not having mental health problems, but to actually be thriving in terms of mental health, which I think is... To me, is a wonderful concept, however wooey it may sound.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, going from like pure survival mode and and shoving down if you're able to until you can no longer. You know, any sort of like negative feelings or or thoughts or like depression, anxiety, just generally mental illness. I think is is like just encouraged implicitly by so many of the structures that that we that we live in, and and from you know such a young young age it's it's hard to you know uncross those those wires and like yeah embrace like a non-binary non-linear sort of thought process about your own sort of experiences and like a lot of times to go from surviving to thriving is like a, a daily process and like Oftentimes, like still more often than not, some days I might feel like absolute shit, but just having the the patience to know that like, that is not a permanent state of being and it, you know, it will subside. And I, I, maybe I'm not in control of exactly when that is the case, but I am in control of like the, the minor things that I can do to make myself feel better or to set myself up for at least like soothing in a healthier way maybe can definitely like be a powerful tool and just being able to ask for help i i'll speak for myself like i i have a few different marginalized identities um and now i'm in therapy um in this in this moment it's just back to my sort of weekly session um Mm. with with the doc but uh, I, I'm I'm mixed race, I'm queer, I'm non-binary, uh, I grew up poor. And I think like so many of those structures, like the way that they work with regards to power implicitly and explicitly teach you that your shit doesn't fucking matter. And like, don't make a fuss. Don't, you know, out yourself as being like, quote, unquote a problem because then that's just a direct threat to your sort of daily safety and I like internalized this way of thinking from when I was you know two three years old and you know hearing people talk about my dad's race in a way that made me scared and I'm so I'm I'm very privileged in a lot of ways like I'm, I'm quite white skinned and like I knew that in order to be safe I had to like that that parts of me and parts of my personality had to be tempered and had to disappear so as to not like be disciplined in school and, or like, you know, be just like scolded by, you know, authority figures or whatever. And like that, that was maybe more likely to happen to me than it was for my, you know, my, my white peers. And it's just like, it took me until I was fucking like 27 years old to really start like, doing like any kind of anti-oppression work at all in order to like make life easier for myself and not be moving through every day with like a, a level of hypervigilance that was like detrimental to my happiness.
2: And it also makes me think about, I mean this, the idea of, of non-binary thinking is interesting. And it, I have one of my best friends, like she's been my best friend since I was in fourth grade and she's becoming a social worker now. And her term for it is black and white thinking, but I think that like, you know, it's been it's been a blessing to be like in this band for like we've been friends for nearly a decade, and we've been through lots of transitions in our relationships, and um, we we do have like different identities and different backgrounds, and I think that um, one of the like. Interesting things that can happen is that we we have different experiences at different times, and we have the task of like holding each other like with love and compassion when like different things are getting triggered, you know. And um, I know that there have been times in the past when like you know, if Naomi's going through something that I don't that I know that I can't like understand. And can't like have compassion for it's almost like I because of like black and white and extreme thinking it's like my impulse is like to just give up on like trying to hold them with compassion and like be yeah be like gentle and kind maybe I think it's it's probably the toxicity of like like intergenerational fucking guilt and shame like from I'm I'm a white person who comes from like a way more privileged background like I have like intergenerational wealth and I think that it's also helpful to acknowledge like the the grief and sadness of like this is so fucking woo but like the grief and sadness of like the just intergenerational like trauma uh, and trauma that was like inflicted upon other people by like my family and stuff like that but even being able to to think about it in in a way of like I am responsible for like feeling like that grief but it's not like I am like reality is more complicated than you know certain humans being like a hundred percent villains and certain humans being 100% victims it's like we have to I don't think I'm making any sense at this point but it's like I'm trying to articulate something about like guilt and shame sometimes just like taking you away from connection because it's just really uncomfortable to sit with something that um you actually can't categorize and sit with like intergenerational pain that you don't know how to do anything about
3: well I think I think Kay one of the things that you're talking about if, and tell me if I'm wrong or no, if I'm, if I'm misinterpreting what you were saying also that I think that a lot of these ideas are, are great, but one of the things that happens is that when there is, in some cases, extreme risk, you know, poverty brings extreme, in some cases, deadly risk, you know, racism does, you know, when people are at risk, I think one of the most difficult things is how do I know whether I, I I can be extreme or I should be extreme? Because the stakes are much higher. And I think that's one of the things that interferes with people being able to develop a more healthy sense of themselves and, and a healthier sense of their their physical and emotional well-being, is because if you're perpetually in a state of trauma because of what might happen to you, because of just who you are authentically, it's very, very hard to settle into some of these things. And Kate, I think what you're talking about is when there's something, even that's just overwhelming emotionally, whether it's shame or guilt, you know, you, you want so badly to, to help somebody, it, it can lead to, like you said, that all or none thinking where you just feel kind of shut down and not sure what to do.
4: I mean, I think that not to, this is maybe changing the subject, maybe not, but I think that's why it's just so dangerous about what is going on right now um, politically in so many states where like the don't say gay bill and all these um, transphobic bills, like just all over the country when the world is telling you that you are not to be loved because of who you are, I don't know, it's just, so scary but I do think that's why so many queer people in general like and I think us included like I I feel like we've all had multiple coming outs because of also just like internalized homophobia and and shame like it it takes so much longer to figure out who you are because there are so many signals in society that are just telling you that you are not good enough and I I don't know I, I, I think it just is maybe why also as a band like we are so interested in mental health and um, trying to understand ourselves more just because we've had no choice but to like look at it more just and which is honestly a blessing in so many ways and I think that's why we can connect in so many ways and also why like you even Katie you were talking about like your sense of shame in regard to you know Naomi it's like you're able to actually have that conversation with yourself because you've had to I don't know reflect so much more but yeah uh, you can go back to
0: i agree with (laughs) you and i think like there's also we also are in (sighs) everything is you know there's just in the with the absence of black and white thinking in mind i think like we are to a certain extent due to our lifestyle which is obviously like arduous and more difficult than people can even imagine a lot of the time, um, despite like obviously our career being a lot of people's true dreams. It does, In one of the positive aspects of it is that it does allow time to, you know, to foster an environment in which you can process maybe more frequently or at more leisure than, you know, say someone who's like, working at nine to five and never gets vacation. Like, I think we, we are so lucky in that way that like, we have careers that enable us to, you know, sort of take care of ourselves in that way. And I think, also, like, having shared identities of marginalization between the three of us also makes us feel feel safer I, it, it, about facing the world. I think like there's such a this is a, a, another slight tangent but I think the we are a relatively like disconnected society I think a lot of the time because we're interfacing with one another through um like technology more often than not just also due to like the pandemic and the nature of the like, current reality that we live in but I think like we are just so fortunate and I think a lot of queer people would probably would probably share this and just anyone who's marginalized ultimately just any person like we all just we, we all need community and we all need like people who we feel like can at least understand some of us I think it's irrational to expect that anyone is ever going to understand everything about anyone else but I think yeah we are we are just so fortunate to have one another and to have like to live where we live and have a, a pretty robust like little circle of friends who like, even a few years ago, I was like, wait, all of my friends are queer. That's so funny to think about. Like, I guess that's probably for a reason. And it just, you know, it surrounds you with people who, whose presence reminds you that like, you're not alone. And our band allows us to, to have that feeling as well. Um, yeah, I'm on one today.
3: I want to stop here for a second because what Muna is saying about societal stressors forcing LGBTQ plus individuals to seek out and create spaces and communities where they feel validated for their identities is a prominent concern in our current socio-political atmosphere. I spoke with Primo Legasso Goldberg of Hope Lab about how this need to carve out and build welcoming communities within our culture as a response to society's shifting views has always been a part of the LGBTQ plus experience. And it can be so valuable for individuals feeling cast as quote unquote other by the world around them to have
1: these footholds of community. There's sort of a shift happening. Um, The queer liberation movement is very old and there are so many so many members of our community and so many really amazing activists have done amazing work from Marsh B. Johnson um, and Sylvia Rivera really starting off this movement of like pushing for queer recognition and not just tolerance, but acceptance. And so there sort of been these waves of queer communities fighting for political acceptance versus social acceptance. And I think that we see that where um, during the AIDS crisis, both politically and socially, queer people were not recognized. Queer people were oppressed. And then we moved to gay marriage legalization in 2014, where we're politically recognized but maybe not socially recognized. And then in the last you know, five or six years, I would say we're pushing even more for social recognition with a lot of media representation. There's a lot of TV shows, books, music, and artists who are embracing their queer identities, which is really beautiful. Um, And all this is just a preface to say, I feel like somewhere inside me that we're moving towards an era where we're going to have to fight a little bit more for political recognition. Um, I'm not sure if you or the audience is aware, but there's a lot of transphobic and homophobic legislature that has been not just being considered, but being passed in a lot of states. And this goes hand in hand with overturning Roe v. Wade and with a lot of the legislature that's happening that is really infringing on people's basic human rights and right to like exist as a human being and have autonomy over your body and have just a, a sense of safety um existing politically as a being in the world and so all that to say i think in the next 5 or 10 years one of the biggest challenges facing us will be political and will be it's such a it's such a huge hurdle to overcome but I think representation um, is something that we've fought a really long time for and something that we continue to fight for. And I think just pushing that as far as it can go is one of the hurdles that we're, that we're um, overcoming now and that I think we'll need to push for in the next years as well.
3: And so one of the things that I, I just have to say, and, and, and this is you know, something that anytime I work with someone... Who is in the LGBTQ community or talk with someone, the stress of this sounds overwhelming before we've even had a conversation about how to be healthy, how to do schoolwork, or work at a job, or you know, find friends? I mean, just just right out the gate before we've talked about any of the things that people associate with quote unquote regular life, all of these stressors, how does does one see the world? I mean, when, when, when it's, it's, how can one even start thinking about those issues when you're just faced with that kind of stress on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it, I can't speak for, I, for all these answers, I can't necessarily speak for every queer person because every experience of queerness is unique. Um, and that's something that's very beautiful about being part of the LGBTQ plus community and something that I really love, but I would say, In a lot of instances, because many people realize that they're queer at a pretty young age, um, we're forced to adapt to this anxiety and stress-inducing life very quickly. And so, like all the things you said, going to school, going to work, applying for jobs, going to college, all of these things, we've already adapted to coping with this. Um, And we all cope with it in various ways, some more healthy, some less healthy, but at base, at in a lot of situations, at base level, we are already we've already like adapted and evolved to in our daily lives, take into account how people are looking at us, how we dress, um, and doing those things in a way that's going to cause as little trouble for us living our daily lives as possible. And so, I would say that it that that stress and that anxiety that the world forces upon us for um, it one can make us beautifully ingenuitive and it can push us to create beautiful art and to find ways to escape the eyes of society and form spaces online in person that are really beautiful. And that's where a lot of queer communities online have formed. And this is where the culture of ballroom and drag comes from, is this idea that you have to create a space that is outside where society can't see you, where society can't criticize you, where society can't question your right to exist as a human being and so this culture and this idea is something that i really love about the queer community that we create spaces for ourselves because in colleges in the workplace in professional environments there aren't spaces that recognize and affirm queer people implicitly and so we have to explicitly create those for ourselves but a lot of people can't access those communities if you're living in a small town or if you're living in a place um Where queerness is, it could be dangerous or like physically risky to express your identity. That's where um, tools like IME, I think, really shine because we worked with a lot of queer young people who put their stories into IME as a tool. We worked with queer young artists to bring the graphics and create the feel and aesthetic of IME. And so, all over the tool and all over the guide, are the handprints and the lived experiences of queer young people and so i think that if someone is looking to affirm their identity and to explore their identity a little bit more i mean is a great way to do that because i think i definitely can feel the lived experiences of queer people in the tool and i think other folks will be able to as well
3: well you know if if it's okay for me to 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 kind of go with that thought i think one of the things that we often like to talk about on the podcast is, you know, there's a lot of what what you're describing with community is so important. That feeling alone is so important. And I think that it's, it's so wonderful that you're able to find that community. I think that one of the reasons why music is so powerful for people is that oftentimes that's the first time that people feel any kind of sense of community. You know, you're, you're in, your room and you and you're listening to something and you're thinking to yourself like nobody else gets how i feel nobody else gets what i'm going through but there's this there's someone out there who does and you may not even know why at the time like you may not even know exactly what it is that's that's connecting for you but you know it's something and you know before you even understand the lyrics you know that there's something in the sound or the music that really resonates and i think that one of the things if if you guys are okay with talking about a little bit is You know, what was the music for you that filled that space that that was the kind of music that made you say, I feel more connected. This is what I go to when I'm not feeling at my best and I'm feeling so alone. And I just I just want to feel connected. I want to feel better about myself and my life.
2: For some reason, the first songwriter that I thought of was Kimya Dawson. That was like my, you know. Early adolescent. Um, it's so funny because, like, when I look back, I didn't come out of the closet until my early 20s, but like, so much about the art that I took in in adolescence, I'm like, that was so gay. But um and Dawson had just a way of writing, and I got to see them uh, I don't know what their pronouns are, so I'm just going to be gender neutral in a concert in Chicago when I was a teenager and like drove down there with my best friend. And um, I remember her song, I Like Giants, and the chorus lyrics are, I like giants, especially girl giants, because all girls feel too big sometimes regardless of their size. And I just remember being floored that like they just came out and said it like that. Um, And I think that there was something tremendously comforting about this person who was saying, like there was just so much in her words and it was like this quiet voice and these quiet like sweet guitar parts but there was so much um kind of like fury and rage against the world being the way that it is and like simultaneous kind of like world building in those songs that I do think really informed my writing like later on so yeah that was that was just the first person that that popped into my head
4: yeah, I, I, you know, the thing, it's so funny because we
2: consume music all
4: so differently. I'm such a sound person. But the one thing I do want to add before I answer the question was, you know, that feeling that you uh, talked about where of feeling understood, like in the songs. I mean, I think, I mean, that's the number one reason why I wanted to be in this band and make pop music was Katie showed me a song that she wrote called loudspeaker that is on our first record and the first time I heard that song I was like oh my god someone's gonna hear the lyrics to this song and feel understood in a way that you know I I, I, I'm from Los Angeles and I have lived such like a privileged experience and like the older I've gotten I have gotten to see like how much music can really make someone feel understood, especially like if they don't live in an area like, you know, I grew up with and they can listen to a song like ours, like I know a place and feel like there maybe is a place where I can feel understood. Um, That's just really always been a guiding principle of us as a band. And um, I, I really do appreciate you bringing that up and I do, to be that we are like you know a band that can do that for people uh but to answer the question i i I listen to music in such a different way like i'm such a sound person rather than like lyrics come much later it's just how my brain operates but um i really love listening to george harrison like I, i love the record all things must pass and I don't know. There's something in the way that entire record feels to me that it just makes me feel uh, in touch with like the spirit of the world, and that is what makes me feel the most connected to myself, and that you know there are other people on this planet who want to do good, and just helps me you know keep going. Uh, so that's I, I guess a generalized record that does make me feel connected to everyone around
0: me. Also fun that you said something in the way about his music, which is also a, a, yeah. a, uh, one of his uh, lovely songs. Um, wow. What, what I know. Um, maybe it's the, you know, maybe it's the mancredo saying of mushrooms has me on, a, on, on an astral plane. Um, <laughs> I, i'm I'm resonating a lot with like what Katie said about about like the the rage present in in music and I think like when you asked the question it just made me think about like the first music that I was sort of like consuming in a solitary way my my family are all like jazz musicians and classical musicians so there was always a lot of music around and my parents listened to like all, you know, a lot of like very heady kind of like atonal jazz and then also like some funk. And there was always like music around me growing up. But I think when I was like uh, maybe around like nine, I got like a little CD player. I had a tape player as well, but um, I, I loved, I had such like bizarre music taste and I feel like I still do. I just remember like being having some CDs burned for me by like my cousin and like one of my aunts like my aunt burned me the I think the first or the second like a a Nickel Creek CD and there was a song on that called Out of the Woods that still really makes me emotional it makes me cry Um, and it made me really emotional at the time and at that same time I was also listening to like people were giving me like Bad Religion and Rage Against the Machine and Nirvana albums. And I was like listening to all this music that my parents didn't listen to and didn't like necessarily enjoy. And I was also like listening to, I don't know, the Phil Collins Tarzan soundtrack. There was so much music that was like, that was really uh, like impactful for me emotionally, even though I didn't really understand why. It just like all made me deeply emotional at like a pretty pivotal time in my life where I think I was feeling like, pretty sensitive. And like on, on the thing of, of rage, like, I I think I, I started to resonate so much with like punk and like heavy music in my early adolescence, which feels like pretty par for the course for a lot of people. Like when you have a lot of big feelings, you might want a lot of like big sounds and like things that feel like they justify like the, the rage and like anger that you might feel inside. I was also like a bit of a political kid. So I, I was, I, my family were all very like leftist so I was very upset about like you know like the war in Iraq and like the war in Afghanistan so I was I was just a little bit pissed about a lot of different things and I think like that rage was actually really useful it uh, it reminds me of this documentary that I watched in college called um the brink of summer's end and it's about this like AIDS activist and writer Paul Monette like his his life and one of the his like very famous quotes from that movie about I think you know, the, 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 the fight against AIDS um, in the queer community at the time, he said, um, go without hate, but not without rage, heal the world. And like, I feel like that is just like, I, I always come back to that as like being a guiding principle for like how you should, you know, be in the world. Like it is okay to feel rage. It's natural. Like we live in times that require rage, but, but you can't, you know you can't let that make you hateful like you you can use the rage productively to to heal and i think that like that even goes for like you know your own internal struggles so that's not really exactly an answer about music i i loved all different kinds of stuff and and tapes and cd's often made me cry so here we are that
2: <laughs> that in itself is very nuanced and like non-binary and helps me when i think about approaching like when I think about people who are, like, denying um, the rights of, like, trans kids and trans people, like, I I really do, I can get confused sometimes, because it feels like I hate those people, but I think it's, it's actually not as, um, it's not as black and white as that, it's like, I feel a rage that is, like, that exists there because I have like a, um, I have a really strong desire for for justice and for people to be, to have the right to live the life that they want to live. And, but at the same time, it's like, that's different than, I can also see that like these people who are enacting like these forms of violence, like I understand that they probably have their own like wounds that are, that are, you know, motivating, like, these just toxic cycles to continue to be carried out, so it's, like, um, it's a good reminder that, like, you can feel rage towards, um, like, a pattern, or a person, or an institution, um, but still hold some type of, like, radical love for them in your heart, and I feel like that's, it's kind of confusing right now, like, how to move about that, because things are so polarized. Um, so.
3: Yeah, and it's- It's, and it's, I think that, you know, when, when you do, when I, I should say, when I do clinical work, it's easier for me to be in that space because I, I've seen so many times that there are people who are hateful or angry and it does come from a place of pain or it does come from a place of trauma. And in some ways it's easier to kind of sit back and be like, Hey, there's, there's a loving, accepting world. This goes back to what Naomi was saying before about non-binary thinking. Like there's, there's a, there's a world out there where being more open can feel good. And when I hear people being hateful or being more all or none, I, I, I think at this point, I don't instinctively think like, oh, that's horrible. It's more like I feel like, oh, man, I, I, it's, I know it's so much better on the other side. But that's in the context of me as a, as a therapist trying to help. And I'm not under threat at that moment. At least I don't feel yeah. threatened. But right. if, but, but as soon as something happens, that feels more threatening, either immediately or existentially, or it's, it's harder, I think to what you described, it's harder to stay in that loving place. Um, and it it eats you up because you sort of, you sort of think to yourself, it's like, well, I'm saying I'm a loving person. I'm saying I'm an open person. I want people to be more loving and open, but I am so mad. I'm so angry right now. And it's like, how does that go together? I think it's something that Josette said about pain right at the beginning. And I, I, I would put anger right in that category is that, you know, I think that that it's okay to to be angry and feel like you're still a loving person. It's okay to, to, to come up against things where, where, where you have more binary thinking, but still think of yourself as an open-minded person. You know, it's, it's doesn't mean that that is the, the final answer that we want. But it, it, if we're not compassionate with ourselves, with not understanding, it just shuts a conversation down. And, but man, is it hard, especially under threat.
2: Yeah, this is some high level stuff
3: for sure. This is some woo woo stuff. Yeah. Or wooey stuff, I should say. So there it is. Muna talking about how stressors that limit our ability to explore and develop our identity in an open and accepting way can be damaging to our mental health and well being. There is so much to take away from the conversation with Muna. One of the things I wanted to talk about is the concept of all-or-none thinking. As human beings, we often naturally categorize the world into absolutes as a way of understanding ourselves and the world around us. And it may feel easier and even comforting in some ways to keep the way we view the world very absolute and simple. The problem is that oftentimes these binary all-or-none definitions do not accurately reflect our experience. It's easy to label ourselves or others as either mentally ill or mentally healthy, straight or gay, male or female. For some, these more binary labels feel more authentic, and that's okay if there's freedom to consider all possible ways of understanding ourselves, our mental health, and our identity. Our mental health can be more complicated than that when there are times when we feel better and other times when we feel worse, even in a short period of time. Some of us feel that our sexuality or gender is more fluid, and for those of us who don't see health or identity as all or none or binary, feeling forced to apply binary all or none labels can feel limiting and oppressive. When we don't have the space, freedom, and patience to explore who we are and how we feel about different parts of our lives, it can lead to a great deal of self-criticism and misunderstanding as we try to fit more complex emotional and physical processes into rigid compartments. And this can unfortunately worsen our mental health and make us feel less connected to our own identity and the people around us who may be limiting our growth. And so that's why it's so important when we are approaching our own mental health, gender, or sexuality, or we are trying to be supportive of others, we try to allow for the fact that some of us see the world in a more binary way, but others do not. And we need to create an open, supportive, and accepting community so that we can all find our authentic sense of who we are and how we feel. I want to thank Muna for this wonderful conversation and Primo of Hopelab for taking the time to talk about the concept of safe spaces and how Hopelab is addressing this issue with I Me Guide. This season of Going There is brought to you by the fine folks at the Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson Johnson who never stop working to create a future where disease is a thing of the past. This month's episodes, focused on LGBTQ mental health, is specifically presented by I Me, created by Hopelab iMe Guide is a free, research-backed mental health tool built for and with the LGBTQ plus teens looking for support and help in affirming their identity and learning practical ways to cope with stress that is helpful, relevant, inclusive, and joyful. Find it at iMeGuide. That's the letters IMI I, dot guide. I also want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at the Crossroads.